Welcome to Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurant. I'm in Joe Buck's car. Yeah, uh, and now that you're talking and I'm talking, it, it feels like it's pretty acoustically sound. So, way to go, Range Rover. I gotta say, you know, I've seen other people who do their their podcast out of a car. I, I can't imagine anyone's better than this, though. This is a pretty. We're not driving. We're just kind of sitting and enjoying the foliage. But we're not both named Ben. <laughs> it, it's Brad and Joe. I didn't want to reference that one. Well, but that's fine. I love the Bens. The Bens are good guys. They are good guys. Uh, and, you know, I tried to do that years ago. I did uh, a web series for Anheuser-Busch where I interviewed people in the back of a cab. And the cab driver's name was Abebe, A-B-E-B-E. Uh, and a wonderful guy, a real cab driver. And I would interview people back there. Then the next thing you know, Jerry Seinfeld's right. doing it. Then Ben Hockman and Ben <laughs> Fredrickson or whatever. Very good. Name. Nicely done. And, uh, and now here we are. So this thing has completely devolved right. into junk. And I, I've known you for years. I started in public access. My first interview, I looked it up, was 1993 with you at some dinner. And now I've moved on to podcasting. So I've come full circle. <laughs> really, <laughs> I really have. Uh, yeah, your best work is the Johnny Bench interview, and, and everything kind of comes in a distant ninth to that. I appreciate it. I, I can't stop staring at your hair right now thinking about the book. No, we'll get into that. Yeah. But, um, I, it's an issue. I really think, uh, I, I did tell you that, um, well, first of all, I appreciate you spending some time here, um, because you've always been good to me, but the book, uh, I'm not much of a reader, <laughs> so I decided audiobook, and I've never done it, and I went and I got it, and I listened to it literally in five five days. First of all, just the fact that you did an audiobook, um, you know, talk about talking through that, reading your own book to your to to people. Yeah, it was weird. It was kind of surreal, and it was it. I did it probably a month and a half, two months before the actual hard copy book came out and I caught like three or four mistakes. Now I had written the book with Michael Rosenberg. I'd read the book six times and it just proves that no matter how many times you proofread something, you're not going to catch everything because, you know, I was on an airplane or I was wherever I was. But then once I had to really read it for the audio version, I had to really pay attention. And, uh, that's when I caught more mistakes, and I was calling frantically to the publisher, like, are we too late? Because this story doesn't make sense if you don't change one word, and we need to change one word. Like in the shell game that happened to me in New York as a little boy. Uh, you know, if we had kept the story the way it was written, I would have never lost $50. But then we changed it, and it made sense that I lost $50 as a fat 12-year-old. I love that story. And there's so many stories in there, um, so I won't give them all away. But really just the thought of writing a book. I've heard you talk about this a little bit. What, I mean, what was the main, was it, I know, and I've heard you say it was for you, but was it possibly some point trying to win fans? Are you trying to win fans? Do you care about fans? Do you even care about that sort of thing? I mean, you're on Twitter, so you obviously you have a sense. You do have, uh, you know, you do both sports. Is that part of it at all, or was it really just kind of for you to be cathartic? It was it was literally all of that, and that's not a cop-out to your question. I, I think, one, I wanted to just get that out of me. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with my dad. You know, what, what got the headlines was the hair plug, lose your voice uh, issue that I dealt with in 2011. But as you know, having listened to the book, 
that's that's kind of the jumping in point and then the story really happens and then you revisit it and then you kind of go to what's happened since then so it was kind of the driving force even behind writing the book that once i came out the other end of that i was like well i'm going to get this down on paper two do i want to win fans yeah who who wouldn't i mean i've done 19 world series and four super bowls and i i think that to a certain degree people have made their mind up about who they think I am or what they think I'm about or you know I can't tell you how many times I'll do a speaking engagement or I'll be around Rudd or some of these other guys and people go I didn't I didn't know you had a sense of humor and it's like really I mean that you never hear me so and then the other part of it was yeah with the social media stuff like you said I am on Twitter now to be honest with you it's not always me tweeting. A lot of the times I'll send it to a publicist and they'll tweet it out only because, not because of laziness, only because a lot of the times it gets so nasty that, especially during October, when everybody thinks, you know, the Indians fans think I love the Cubs and the Cubs fans think I love the Indians and it just gets insane, that I'll just shove it over to Rachel, this publicist, and I say, here's what I want to say, here's the picture, you put it up. Because I, it's like the age-old... You know, whatever you do, don't look down. Whatever you do, don't touch this hot plate. You can't not touch the hot plate. And uh, so when I'm on there, I'm like, oh, let me just see. And then it's like, ugh, why am I doing this? It's it's a study. And it's like opening up the complaint box at uh, Macy's and looking for compliments. You're, it's just not going to happen. You seem like you've kind of gotten to the point where you're like, this, this, this is what's going to be. But do you ever even have conversations with guys like like Jim Nance or Al Michaels. And what's different is they don't do baseball. So you have that sport. And maybe is that their difference, do you think? Is it start there and then it creeps in? Because I don't think, it doesn't seem like Cowboy fans really hate you. you got Troy. I don't think Giants fans, maybe they they hate Troy. But it really is a baseball thing. I've been in San Francisco and I've seen them do this. And I've seen it in Chicago with you. I mean, it is crazy. You get signs. You're lucky, man. You get signs. Al Michaels doesn't have a sign. There, There's a lot of sides to that. And there's a lot of good to that. There's... I. If I did what I did and nobody knew I was there or cared, that would be worse. You know, at least they know I'm there. Mm. But you're right. It is a baseball thing, and I get it. And I'll, I'll tell you why why it kind of crystallized for me. I always thought I was right. But first of all, I'm the national guy, so I have no home team. And when you have no home team and you're yelling for Chris Bryant's home run and then you're yelling for Kipnis's home run, well, the Cub fans only hear you yelling for Kipnis's home run, and they don't hear that all year. They have Cub announcers. They do 160 games. Then we show up at a time when they really care the most. They're living and dying, and here I am yelling for the other side. Now, that's my job, so they can like it, not like it. It's kind of ridiculous. But then you take it another step. Because I'm yelling for the Cub guy, well, not only do the Indian fans not like it, but the Cardinal fans go, well, how can he yell for Chris Bryant? Of course, isn't he a Cardinal fan? His dad made it. So there's another layer to it. But it crystallized for me this last year with the Blues playoffs. When they made it to the conference finals, I I love Kenny Albert. I think he does a great job in hockey. And I love Doc Emmerich. But I wanted to hear John Kelly and Darren Pang because they have the same rooting interest as I do when I'm watching the blues and that's who I listen to all year. And now when I'm, you know, biting my fingernails off and throwing stuff against the wall, it's not them. 
And so it's a foreign voice, and he's getting excited, whoever he is, for the other, the Sharks, as much as he is the Blues. So it's a, it's almost not personal. It's just kind of, you're the voice, and I'm going to tell you I hate you, but I don't know. I don't know that they really hate me. See, you know, I saw a sign during one of those playoffs, Kenny Albert married Patrick Kane. And so that must have been you who had that. <laughs> so that was you that had that sign. Yes. And uh, I'm, it was right. We did a double wedding. It was me and Schwarber, and then. Uh, <laughs> Him and Kane. But if it wasn't me and Schwarber, then it was me and Madison Bumgarner from two years before. So, you know, they they used the same joke on me and Schwarber as they used on Madison Bumgarner. Me, I'm like, guys, let's at least be original. You know, don't don't photocopy and manipulate old jokes. Let's let's be creative here. Well, it's a Twitterverse. They're not real creative. That's well, why. That's why they're there. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are, but. Yeah, I again, I I don't. You know, take I it. have a little problem with Twitter. By the way, I just shared something with you. Probably reasons why I'm a little anti-Twitter. Well, yeah, and and that <laughs> it's. I think Twitter, for all of its good, and I think there is some good. I can go to a game if I'm on it. I can go to a game on a Sunday, and I can learn about what's going on in the NFL just by getting on and reading, you know, X, Y, and Z, Schefter, and whoever. But the, the negative side is if you let that stuff get to you, the previous stuff that we talked about, or your situation with with Twitter, with, uh, with Fox, then I think it can scare you out of having an opinion. And it can scare you out of being excited. And it can scare you out of being yourself. And, you know, I think about my dad or Harry Carey or Bob Prince or guys back in the day that had personality and a lot of the times it wasn't politically correct and if twitter was around then you know there are things my dad said on the air that i talk about in the book that they he wouldn't have finished the inning and it's just a different world so um you gotta wear a helmet sometimes but the positives far outweigh that negative and and the other thing is and i drone on individually person to person people are great it's kind of the mentality of us versus you when you're just a thing on Twitter. So it, it, it at the end of the day, doesn't really affect my life at all. Yeah, too many people have voices, though. I think there was a fun time back in the 80s when only Randy Carricker had a voice and Jack and right. Mike. Those were the voices. You listened to them. You could call them if you wanted. You could get through 436-7900. If you didn't get through, then you called the next night. As a kid, that's what I did. Yeah, no, that, and I, I was I was in the receiving end of that stuff, too, back then. Um was certainly a simpler time. I'm not ready to say it was a better time, but at least for the person sitting in that seat, it was a much freer time. Because, you know, these days, if you say anything that's got any color to it at all, any twist, comedic anything, or opinion anything, watch out. Because the avalanche, and especially at that level, when you're doing a World Series game for 35 million people or whatever it is, it's it's going to start rolling downhill fast. I'm going to roll two questions into one. Uh, the Cubs were winning the World Series. I know you even said two years ago, before they, they started making this playoff run in 2015, it'd be awesome to call a Cub World Series at Wrigley. I'm assuming it would have been more fun for you to do that Game 7 at Wrigley, but still, uh, it, it, tell me a little bit about what it meant for you to uh, be behind the mic to make that call. And the other thing, and you addressed this in the book, which is funny, I'm going to go, now I'm going to pontificate a little bit. I had a bunch of questions when, when I first contacted you about what I was going to ask you, and you answered every one of them in the book, so I had to come up with new questions. But it sounded like now you really just 
say, screw it, I'm going to let go. If something big happens, I'm letting go. You said in 2006 when the Cardinals won, you go, oh, man, I really don't like that call because I didn't let go because I was afraid. So I don't know what I'm asking. I'm asking about the Cubs World Series. Yeah. Are you getting a little more excited, which you mentioned in the book, but just how did that go for you, this, this World Series with the Cubs? I think a lot of things. First of all, in oh, 06, we're out of time. Sorry. In '06, I that call was horrible because the Cardinals were playing the Tigers and Jay Delsing, who you, you probably know, the golfer, uh, tour player, uh, for a long time, was with Roger Maltby at a bar somewhere, and the game was on. And I guess he's a Tiger fan or whatever. And he said to Jay, "They shouldn't even let Joe Buck do this World Series because he's from St. Louis, and everything he says that comes out of his mouth is pro Cardinal." And and Jay told me that. And and that got that got through. It was like you know you put all these defenses up, but that one got through the crack somewhere, and it it hit me. So then there they are winning the World Series, and I'm like totally monotone downplaying. It sucks. I hate it. And and I vowed to myself that I would never let that negativity affect what I did on the air. It may affect my dinner, but it's not going to affect what's going on once the game starts. And so as the years have gone on, yeah. Then I went through the voice thing, and I went from probably taking my vocal apparatus, whatever it might be, with the vocal cords and my sound for granted. And then I didn't have it. And then I was like, man, I I used to have it pretty damn good, didn't I? And now I'm talking like this, and I have one vocal cord, and I sound like I'm dying. And that, that... really sent me into a tailspin. I mean, I went through depression, which I talk about in the book, and and all these dudes going through a divorce at the time. And when I came out of that, I was like, okay, now I've got my voice back. I'm going to yell and scream and do what I want to do. And if one group of fans, for whatever reason, thinks I don't like their team, which is stupid, then okay. They already think that anyway. So let it go and, and have fun and be proud when you hear the highlight you go, okay, that sounds like a guy who's excited to be there. I have never walked into a booth and not been beyond honored or excited to be there. But I tried to, when when Aikman and Collinsworth and I took over for Summerall, I tried to sound like Pat Summerall. You would, you would have thought that years prior to that, I would have tried to sound like my dad. But I didn't. I, I was more myself. And then here I come doing the big NFL game, and I tried to be... You know, Summerall was Montana, Rice, touchdown, you know, and I and I'd started to go into that thinking that's how you had to do it. And it was wrong. And only there's only one Pat and there's only one me and I needed to be more me. You've talked about your dad. The book, again, uh, it's awesome. And what I love about it, I think of it as, uh, I called it a love letter. I actually want to write down what I wrote. Uh, a thank you, thank you letter. I thought of it as a love letter. Almost more of a thank you, dad type thing. And um, there's so many good stories. And I think people in St. Louis will just um, will think this is a great book. I think people other places obviously will too. But if you're in St. Louis, I think there's so many heartfelt stories about your dad. Um, I, I assume... You know, that last year, I didn't know that he had cancer. I had no idea. I knew all the other ailments, and I didn't know he was sick that long. So I'm assuming that was cathartic, and how much fun was it to just sort of get this all out in paper and just have it written down? Very much fun. Uh, and, and it was something that was really the part where I, I think the emotion comes into it. I just got a text message from somebody that went through my wife to get to me that 
this guy poured his heart out in a text message about how reading my book made him realize how lucky he was with his dad. And I, I think I do a lot of things for my dad in the book, including make him human again. You know, I, I think as the years go by, you start looking, he appears more like the bust and this like, you know, perfect human being. And he was a flawed guy like everybody else. And the title of my book, Lucky Bastard, is, hey, I'm I'm a lucky bastard. I'm lucky that I'm my dad's kid and my mom's kid. And I came along at the time I came along and Fox jumped into the game. And I mean, the timing was ridiculous uh, in a good way. But at the same time, you know, my dad was married with six kids and met my mom and then I'm on the way and then he marries my mom and then I'm born and, and it was not the perfect beginning to a family. It, it was a great ending and, you know, my parents loved each other dearly, but he was a flawed guy. And so telling some of the stories about going to Vegas and him shooting craps all night, and me playing Donkey Kong and putting myself to bed and... uh I I was not led by the hand into this business. I saw a guy who loved doing what he did, as you did. You were around. You saw a guy who wanted to be at the ballpark and kind of would glide through, even when he had Parkinson's and everything else wrong with him. He couldn't get enough of being down there. And so as his kid, what else am I going to do? I wanted to be him. But he didn't sit down and, like, spoon-feed me. Here's how you do it. Here's what you should say. He let me find my own way, and had it been the other way, I don't think we would have been good broadcast partners. Maybe I wouldn't have even done it, because it would have been like, oh, you know, that's too much, Dad, or, you know, get off my back, Dad, or whatever. It was none of that, and so uh, that was a gift that he gave me without even, I don't know if he was aware that he was giving it to me, but yeah, this was a thank you letter to my dad, to my mom, to the people that kept me floating during 2011 with all the stuff with my voice too yeah he was great to me i hope you know that so uh i mean from 10 10 years old on he was always good to me i love the story there's there's so many things in there i love the gambling stuff because i've heard stuff about that and the fact that you kind of add more to it i mean did do you think that your dad may have even had a gambling addiction i mean was he addicted to it he didn't have enough money <laughs> to to be addicted in a bad way um, I think the perception would be, oh, Jack Buck, he was rich. He, you know, he was working for the Cardinals or whatever. Now he made a good living, but he had a lot of responsibilities and a lot of mouths to feed. And he was by no means rolling in it, but whenever he got a chance, I, I think he liked to watch games with something riding on it. Not when he was broadcasting. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that to make him sound better than he actually was. That's true. He, I, I don't think he ever bet a game that he was broadcasting. But later in his life, uh, he loved Sundays because he he would give his picks to other people. And I think he had pride in that. So there was a, a local guy who has a lot of money who would go to Vegas and put my dad's bets down for himself, not for my dad, and made a ton of money uh, on NFL Is he games. still around? He is still around. Okay, I'm gonna get that number later. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and so he he at one point, you know, for for a thank you to my dad, he bought him like a bunch of ties and a bunch of it was like some shady deal. But he, my dad, liked to go. Okay, I I think Dallas is four points better than the Giants or whatever it might be, and and he liked it. So I think as a depression era kid who grew up with zero. Mm. 
only went to college because of the GI Bill, really didn't have a lot of cash built up at any point in his life, but worked his tail off. I think he, when he got a chance, he'd like to go play cards and he'd like to go roll dice. And, and that was that was fun for him. Yeah. I think we're winding down a little bit, but I get jealous because the stories about how they entertained at the house with Stan Musial or whoever would come over. You just had this... And there's a comedian who does that right now who says when the doorbell used to ring back when you were a kid, hey, welcome, everyone, come in. Now it rings, it's like, hey, hide, don't, don't, we don't want anybody at the house. And it just sounded like he enjoyed really hosting and having people over. And that had to be just amazing just to see those those people and having, and, and, and having fun at the house. I just feel like people don't have fun at their house anymore. You, there's just so much tension. Man, I, I, I don't know where we're going with that. No, I, you know, but I, it, but reading it, it so, just seems so cool. Yeah, and you're right. I think you're dead right that, you know, everybody tries to build their house up and make it the this palace at whatever level it's on. And then, but nobody ever comes over to anybody's house. You're right. And so, you know, we didn't have some massive house, but we had a nice house for entertaining. And yeah, whoever was in town, singers, people that were coming through the, to the Muni would come over. He had a piano player that was basically on call. And they'd sit around and drink Manhattans and smoke cigarettes. And and my dad and mom would be singing, like, big group sing-alongs. And, I mean, Norm Crosby, the comedian, was there. And Donald O'Connor, who was on Broadway and in movies, would come through there. Uh, and, yeah, I, that that's what I saw. It was like Mad Men over <laughs> right. at my house. And we, I don't, you're right. People may have pianos, but nobody plays them. Right. It just seemed like I was jealous, and I, as I read it, I thought, I want to start doing that, and I probably won't. <laughs> um, last couple seconds. The hair. I mean, first of all, you have to be jealous of mine. I have the same hair. It, it's my favorite feature. Are you, take a look. Yeah, I, I hate you for that. Yeah. There, the people that have normal heads of hair, or better said, full heads of hair, into their 40s and 50s, can't stand them. Yeah. I mean, on some level, I hate you. I will say now, I did notice these things happening. I did notice it creeping forward, going back, but I didn't think it was that big a deal. I mean, it's just like, yeah, he's a broadcaster. But boy, I love how often you bring this subject up because it comes up at the beginning, in the middle, the end, and then the front and the back. I mean, it literally, and it's fun to read because I it, I think it just makes you, you know, a normal guy. Hey, I want hair. I want it to look right. I'm on, on TV. This is what it's supposed to look like. And that's what I think the, the, the book to me, Partly, obviously, is the thank you letter to your dad, but then just to see you telling some funny stories. And the stuff about the hair is hilarious, even though it almost cost you your, your job. But knowing where you are now, it is, it is funny how much you really do care about your hair. Now, I want to talk about my hair a little bit. Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for some reason, it's tied directly to my manhood so or my virility. So the minute I started to lose it, and then when I was, if you look at pictures of me when I was... 22 23 i was i was doing cardinal games i have a full like thick head of hair and i look at those pictures like with a little tear in the corner of my eye and then i started to lose it and i started to try to keep up with what i was losing but i don't know why it's such a taboo topic any more than you know oh so and so got a nose job or you know so and so got their ears tucked or uh, breast implants or what? I, who cares? I everybody who has a little bit of pride is trying their best to look as good as they can. Now, some we all fight it going to the gym and 
everybody's heavier than they want to be and whatever it may be, but so what? I, you know, I don't care. And, and so, uh, that felt good, you know, to go on the tonight show and say to Jimmy Fallon and to his audience in there. So I got hair plugs and, and people don't say that, but I liked saying it. And, and the whole vocal thing, as you know, cause you know, the book that could have been from hair plug operation or a knee operation. It just, it had to do with the, cause people go, well, how did hair plugs lead to you losing your voice? Well, because of the tube they put down your throat for a general anesthetic, it sat in the wrong area and it hurt the nerve that fires my vocal cords. So it could have been anything, but uh, one was tied to the other. And the irony of trying to add hair to my huge forehead <laughs> being tied to me almost losing my job because I had no voice is, you know, Greek tragedy like. And so I thought, let's just bear it all. And maybe somebody can. Pull something about father and son. Somebody can pull something about a procedure done where it didn't go right or, you know, how they grew up as a product of divorce or the cause for divorce or they've gone through a divorce, whatever it is. I I wanted to throw it out there. So I don't think it's your typical sports book. I think it's something that people can apply to their own life. Last couple seconds. Do you have to sign some books here, I think, right? For yes. pretty fairly soon. Uh, your dad had uh, a few calls, big ones. Go Crazy is a St. Louis one. I don't believe what I just saw. Do you have one? I mean, do people think? I mean, I know See You Tomorrow Night from David Freeze is probably, for us now, the Joe Buck call. Do you have one, though? Is there one? Maybe it's Randy Moss, which yeah. was the question I was going to ask you about, but you addressed it in the book, so that was pretty It's, it's interesting. But do you have a, a, a famous call, Do you and do you strive for that? I don't strive for that. Um, I, I want to be clear. I want to be concise, which is the big part. I want to state what happened, and I want to get out of the way. I'm doing the game on TV. The difference between those calls and my dad's calls that you mentioned, I don't believe what I just saw, and go crazy, folks. Those are radio calls. And if I was doing the game on radio, it would sound entirely different. But because I'm doing it on TV... I say it, you know, the Cubs, it's finally happened or whatever I said, or the Red Sox, you know, Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. Boston Red Sox are world champions. I I don't know what more you have to say after that. And then you shut up and you let the natural celebration. Put it on the board or holy cow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any of that. Slam on a lemma ding dong. (laughs) Now that I would put on it. So I, I, my, my rule of thumb is, if I can come up with something that's better than a roaring crowd at a game, then say it. But, man, that's rare. And especially at the end of a broadcast or at the end of a World Series or at the end of a Super Bowl when there's a natural boy-like reaction on the field, I, there's nothing like shutting up and letting the cameras run out there. And those cameras have mics on them. And I want to hear Chris Bryant sound like a little kid or you know who Eli Manning a, a a natural in the crowd moment with his teammates and if I'm talking over that whole thing you're not going to hear it and that that would be a crime to me yeah well that's part one we're going to start part two in a moment okay uh Joe I appreciate the time as always uh I have more questions so maybe we'll I'll just keep bugging I bugged you for a while to do this I really appreciate it and like I said I I really I did enjoy listening I think 
honestly, I always ask you what's next, and then the, the, those are fun interviews to hear what you say. What's next? Because you do it. You did an HBO show. You wanted to do a talk show. I feel like a radio show or a podcast, a Brad and Joe podcast, not this yeah. one. But I, I see. I, I seriously, when I when I listen to that audio book, and I don't, I've never bought an audio book. But to hear you do it, because you do voices. I, I wanted to ask you about Mike Shannon a little bit. You did Mike Shannon's voice. You do dumb cub fan voice. I think that's it's fun to hear. It was like a radio show. If I so, I think if people buy the book, buy it. But I enjoy the audio book, and maybe radio's next. Week. I haven't heard the audio book, so I'd like to go back and listen to parts of it and see how it came out. Only because I got a stack of paper, and they're like, "Okay, we've budgeted three days." I'm like, three days? I'm not sitting in this thing for three days." So I said, just buckle up because I'm going through this. And I, in eight hours, I was done. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, that that is the kind of what what's next for me. I don't I don't want to do the NBA. I don't want to do and great that there is the NBA. I don't want to do the NHL. I'm a Blues fan. I want to sit in my seats and drink beer. I don't want to do any more baseball beyond what I'm doing. And after the next couple of years, I'm not going to do any baseball. I don't think uh, unless somebody really convinces me that i have to and i'm interesting i didn't know this well yeah i i will see you know i i made this mistake with mike bush when i was like 28 what are you going to do in 10 years i go i don't see myself doing play-by-play anymore and then i'm doing it for 20 more years but i don't know i've done 19 world series i I've, i've just watched the cubs win it i've seen the cardinals win it Seen the Red Sox win it, the Yankees win it. I, you know, at some point, let somebody else in the game and tag somebody and check out. So, you know, this is all provided that I'm healthy and I have opportunities. But we'll see. I, I just, I, my, I guess my point is, play by play wise, I'm full and I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and I'm smart enough to know that. So I'm not looking to add. I'm looking to shift or take away. That's that's my answer. Great answer. Thank you for your time. Always a pleasure. All right, Brian. Good to see you. You too. We'll do this again some other time. Maybe my car. We'll just move next door to my car. <laughs> that's Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses. I thank Joe Buck very much. It's the Lucky Bastard book. It's awesome. Go get it. Thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and follow me on Twitter, at Brad Schroeder. Thank you. Thank you.